Good day, everyone, and welcome to my favorite time of the day, Sports from the Basement NBA show for October 11th. I'm BVA. Today we're going to talk about Milos Teodosic. We're going to review some of the recent games, tonight's games, in fact. And we're going to talk to SFTB staff writer Trevor Utley and preview the Atlantic Division. So let's get started by focusing on our lead topic tonight, Milos Teodosic. And if you don't know who he is, he's a new signing for the Clippers. Uh, he signed to a two-year, $12.3 million deal. as a player option his second year. 6'5", 195. He's a point guard. He's originally from Serbia. Last year, he played at CSK Moscow, where he averaged 16.7 assists and two rebounds in about 27 minutes. Expectation for Milos is that he's going to come in and he's going to be the, the new starting point guard for the Clippers. Now, that's an interesting position for him because the Clippers have another traditionally starting point guard, which is Pat Beverly. It seems that the Clippers are looking to find a way to replace Chris Paul. Chris Paul was a plus defender and obviously a plus offensive player as well, and they've sort of taken to dividing those two roles. Now, they also lost J.J. Redick, so it's going to be interesting to see how these two guys are able to really be both of those guys, if you will, in a more definitive, separational kind of uh, approach. When you talk about Redick, and frankly, when you talk about Paul as well, shooting was a key to this team. Uh, if you look at his shooting, it, it frankly is mediocre. So far in the preseason, we haven't don't have a ton of data. His last game against Portland, he had 15 points. Most of that came from behind the arc. He was 4 for 7 there. Previous to that, in his first two preseason games, though, he only averaged 2 points in 25 minutes a night. Um, you know, and even in that most recent game when he had 15, it was five for 12 from the floor overall. And before that one for eight over the course of two games, the expectation is that he's going to be a plus three point shooter, but we're going to have to see how he fits in. You know, I mentioned he's replacing Redick. He's not the traditional go to the corner, move slightly to create angles on passes that might come out to him and then knock down threes. He's really an on the ball player for the most part of the way that we expect to see him. Talk a whole lot about more about that in a moment, but let's talk about his real weakness, which is defense. Last year in Europe, he was literally one of, if not the worst defenders at his position. And what he suffers from is a couple things. One is just slow lateral speed. If you watch him, he can go direct very quickly, but laterally trying to slide, he's quite a bit slower than most uh, NBA point guards in particular. Also has slow reflexes, and there's a little bit of a concern that, frankly, his defensive IQ may not be there. It, some guys, you know, they can be great offensive players, but they just to can't totally grasp the way that advanced offenses look coming at them. You know, Milos is able to do it from an offensive standpoint, but he can't totally get it from the defensive side. Now, the Clippers, with the rest of the team, should be a plus defensive team. You've got Jordan and Beverly, who are both all defensive players. But where do you hide him? You know, you look at the elite teams, in, especially in the West, and there's not going to be a whole lot of places you can hide a bad defensive liability. The key for Milos, though, is going to be his passing. And if you've never seen uh, the YouTube videos, I encourage you to go seek them out. He's literally one of the most exciting, fun passers that we're going to have in the league this year. His pick and roll play in particular is one of the best. And it's not just to the secondary player, the, the player who's setting the pick, but to others on the floor. He's able to keep his head up and quickly read. Not only is the player who's rolling open, but has the center slid over. And I can drop it off to our uh, big man down low. Yeah, has somebody else mo rotated and now, if I take two steps, it opens up a new passing lane to hit a corner three. Things like that. 
But it really, that action benefits from guys that are constantly moving and constantly aware of what's going on. Now, last year with the Clippers, we saw that. We saw Blake, DeAndre, we saw Redick moving, as I mentioned before. But then we'd see stretches where nobody did that. And it would get to the second string, and Austin Rivers would pass the ball and sort of hang out. DeAndre even, at times, Blake would go set the pick, and he would just move out of the way, drawing his man out of the way, and sort of assume that between Chris and Blake, they were going to finish the play. So they need to make sure that they're still supporting him in that way. He should, however, benefit from Blake and DeAndre and their ability to cut to the rim. Their rim finishing already garnered the name Lob City. And if they can continue to do that, it's going to be a boon. We're going to see some incredible alley-oops this season. Danilo Gallinari, another pickup that's likely to be a starter. A very strong shooter will be able to move himself to be able to get open for those passes. And if he can hit, it should be an exciting team. But frankly, in my opinion, it's going to go back to his shooting. If he's left alone, if teams figure out that on the pick and roll they can leave him alone, let him beat us, he's going to have to hit those shots. And he's going to have a good amount of pressure on those shots to be able to hit him when he's wide open. You know, it's an interesting time in our league. Uh, The role of the point guard has really changed. You know, a couple years ago, sort of the premier position was the the shooting guard, you know, the small forward, the the wing, if you will. You know, we went from Kobe into LeBron and you had Durant and you had, you know, uh, James Harden and those guys. And now we've started to see just in the last couple of years that move back towards the point guard. The league is very heavy at that position. Um, in particular, in the West, we have some of the best in the league. And really, there's very few teams that lack a competent point guard. So he's really got to move this team towards elite because he's going to be back and forth with some of the best players in the league at his position. A lot of people have made comparisons to Ricky Rubio, uh, who's now with the Jazz. Rubio really brought an excitement in the way that he passed, in the way that he saw the floor, had some injury troubles, but really suffered from his inability to shoot. And again, going back to his shooting, to Milos's shooting, I think that's going to be the thing that he's got to make sure is there in order for the Clippers to succeed this year. Overall, looking forward to see it. The clips just keep coming with every game we see. Amazing passing, amazing court vision, and those kind of things. And I'm curious to see if he and Beverly can jointly contribute to the Clippers competing in the West this year. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about tonight's action on the court. Start up in Toronto where Detroit visited the Raptors. And this game got out of hand pretty quickly. Serge Ibaka got off to a super hot start, eight early points with two blocks. And frankly, the whole game, the Raptors seemed to really pass the ball well. And, that, and that's something to note for them. You know, previous years, they've been a team that's been known as ball stops and played isolation more than not. This has really been a transitional year for them because they've got the same crew, they've got to change something. Tonight, 30 assists on 41 field goals, only 14 turnovers as well. So they were able to hold the ball, keep it, look for those open shots, and then make them when they got them. By the second quarter, Raptors had the lead up to 17, and after a quick run to bring that down to 7, the lead ballooned again, never dropped below single digits the rest of the game. For the Pistons, you know, their battery, sort of their key for them, is going to be Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond, and it looked pretty broken tonight. Jackson, very ineffective throughout, finished with a team-worst minus 30, and if any of you guys heard about the comments that Wally Zerbiak made about uh, Chris Stapps the other night about him being a minus 20 and but you can't be a star if you're going to be a minus 20 you can imagine what he would feel like about this Reggie Jackson being a minus 30. Andre Drummond you know 
just so disappointing. Seemed very disinterested on both ends of the floor. Got taken to school by Valanciunas. On defense, he just seemed to not really care. Offense, he was missing shots, committing turnovers. The bright spot for the Pistons was their bench. We saw this at the end of the last season too, but their bench played well together, partially just for their chemistry. 24 for 39 as a unit from the floor. Ish Smith could be pushing to start if Reggie Jackson continues this way. Uh, John Luer also impressive, but he's going to need some other big man, whether it's Boban or somebody else, to help him on the floor with the rebounds. He got out rebounded when he was out there. Overall, Raptors played well all night. Again, passing the ball, avoiding that ball stop, and it led them to the win. DeMar DeRozan finished the night with 13 points and 8 assists. Valanciunas really took advantage of Drummond, 18 and 11 rebounds. CJ Miles off the bench with 19 points. For Detroit, Ish Smith came off the bench, and I mentioned had a great night, 22 points and 8 assists. But Toronto really completed the blowout, 116 to 94. Chicago at Cleveland, and Cleveland continues to be a work in progress. This was the first game with sort of their semi-regular rotation. The new starting lineup, we've got Wade in, J.R. Smith out, we got Love, Love playing the five, Tristan moves to the bench. A couple things, you know, that, that's a really traumatic starting lineup. They're not used to playing together, but you know, the thing people aren't talking about is now you've got J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson playing against second teams all year, and that was something that was a real key tonight. Bulls started out strong. Um, led most of the first before that Cavs second unit came in and really turned things around. The first unit turning the ball over looked very sloppy for the Cavs, but once that second unit came in, they were able to take advantage of the youth of the Bulls and get them a lead. Bulls starters came back in and brought them back into the lead, led by seven at the half. And when we get to the third, Bulls responded to a quick run by the Cavs, took the lead again, and never let it go. Bulls, some nice stretches tonight from Justin Holiday, from Laurie Markkinen, from Robin Lopez. I still think this team is not going to be great, but they did some nice things tonight. They won the turnover battle 22-15. to They also out-rebounded the Cavs 51-46. to Now, I think probably that's due more to the Cavs starters in particular, being sloppy, also being a little slow. You know, one of their key things this year they've been trying to do is not slow the ball down and play set plays and isolation plays every time, but really push something that... You know, they blamed on Kyrie, but it looks as if that's just as much part of LeBron as anything else. Dwayne Wade was freelancing, still doesn't seem to totally be in the game, and and the ball slowly came into a half-court set most of the night. One note from this game, uh, Miritich and Kevin Love both injured. Miritich was out of the game and did not return. Kevin Love played most of it, but both are going to be important to watch as we move into the season. Justin Holiday for the Bulls. I mentioned he had a great night. 28 points, 11 rebounds, 6 turnovers, though, which he'll look to improve in the next game. That's 6 of those 15 for the team. Robin Lopez, 10 points and only 5 rebounds. Lori Markkinen, nice night from him, 18 points and 5 rebounds. For the Cavs, LeBron still seems to be a little out of shape due to that injury that he's been nursing. 17 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists, and 8 turnovers from LeBron. Derrick Rose had a nice night, 13 and 5 rebounds, but in the end, the Bulls pull out a win against the winless in the preseason Cavaliers, 108-94. Orlando visiting the Spurs in San Antonio. This was a dress rehearsal for Orlando, and frankly, maybe for the Spurs. We don't really know what the Spurs are really going to look like. They've had injuries, obviously Kawhi being the main one, but they've been playing a lot of different guys, um, and that continued tonight. San Antonio had the lead to open up, but Orlando jumped out in the second uh, quarter, the second half of the first, I should say, and really pushed them. Uh, it was interesting seeing Orlando kind of push San Antonio around. The Spurs bench actually was able to answer in the second, maintain the lead going into halftime. But we get into the third, Spurs extended that lead. The starters came back in and did a good job, got the lead up to about 13, 
before they gave it away and even more going into the fourth. Um, this was a back and forth game. Again, some highlights, but it was hard to tell from the Spurs in particular what it is we're looking at, what it is we should expect as we go into the season. For the Magic, Aaron Gordon had a nice night, 27 points, 11 rebounds. Jonathan Simmons against his former team, a really nice night, 20 points and 11 assists. Alfred Payton also had a nice night, 11 points and 9 assists. For the Spurs, 16 points from Aldridge, but only 4 rebounds. And Rudy Gay really has been the surprise to me of the Spurs team. He's fit into the offense very well. Tonight, 13 points, 7 rebounds, and 4 assists. Orlando gets the win in what seemed like a close game, but wasn't really as we got into the fourth. 103. Oklahoma City at Denver, and this had a feel of a regular season game right from the start. In the first quarter, there was a notable dust-up between Jokic and Westbrook. Uh, turned into a flagrant foul from Jokic, didn't back down to the MVP. Westbrook started hot. He had 14 points on 6-for-7 shooting in the first quarter alone. But the Nuggets you know, weren't really able to respond. They shot a mere 21% in the first and really was a problem all night. Shots just weren't falling for them. Paul George and Carmelo, new acquisitions for the Thunder, both seem to struggle at times. It seems like it's going to take them a little bit longer to get settled with the team into the offense, not turning the ball over so much. Um, Thunder ended up taking a 10-point lead, 49-39 into the half. Mike Malone of the Nuggets responds by playing Torrey Craig in place of Wilson Chandler. Thunder responded by extending the lead even further. Uh, had an 8-0 run to start the second. Really, the story was OKC's defense. They were playing very physical, and the Nuggets did not respond well. On an offensive end, they really couldn't keep up with the way they were play, being played hard, tight. And additionally, on the defensive end, the Nuggets just seemed tired, so their defense lacked. This was a partial commitment, likely due to the fact they are having to work so much harder on the offensive end. Now, Will Barton and Jameer Nelson both had nice nights. In the third, they brought the lead only down, down to about five, and later in the fourth to about one, but both times the Thunder were able to respond, clamp down on defense. In the end, it was a 17-4 run by the Thunder that ended up closing it out. Westbrook, big night for him, 20 points, 7 assists in only 26 minutes. Paul George, I mentioned he struggled a little bit with his turnovers, but had 19 points, 11 rebounds, added 4 assists. Carmelo, 19 points, 9 rebounds in 22 minutes for him. For Denver, Jokic, obviously the big star this year, 20, 12 points, I should say, 11 rebounds. And Gary Harris added 11. OKC gets the win, 96-86. to 86. And finally, Utah at the Lakers. It's a close game throughout between two teams really trying to find a way to be competitive this year. Um, for the Lakers, some bright spots tonight. Kuzma looked, continued to look good, really. Lopez looked good. This is only the second game he's played. It's also a unity in the team. You know, you see the guys up rooting for each other. You see them playing well together. The Jazz, some highlights as well. Uh, seeing Rubio with a renewed shooting touch, which is nice to see. Gobert looks strong inside. And it looks like some of the other guys that have come back, including Joe Johnson, who we'll talk about in a moment, look good. They sort of seem like they're getting into their rhythm. Jazz rookie Donovan Mitchell, though, he stole the show. Lonzo Ball still out with the injury. Donovan Mitchell, another rookie guard, and really jumped in in place of, uh, of Hood, who only played about four minutes. Overall, an entertaining game. 14 lead changes, tied 11 times. Neither team led by more than seven points. The first half, very much back and forth. Um, gets the second half. Jazz took the lead to start the half, and the third and fourth, though, belong to the Lakers. Up until about the last four minutes. Comes down to four minutes. Utah ties it up. They go with some great efforts by Rubio Gobert. Joe Johnson backing people down in one play particular to tie it up. He backed Kuzma all the way down. 
we started to see the Lakers' youth. They were getting killed inside. Kuzma, in particular, just couldn't keep up down the down the stretch. Lakers respond with Lopez, try to get some height in there, but in the end, it was really the youth of the Lakers that showed they're exciting, but sometimes they try too hard. It's as if they're gripping. They just really don't make the smart plays, and that's what ultimately broke down for them. Mitch and Donovan Mitchell had a great night. 26 points, 3 assists, and 4 rebounds. Ricky Rubio had 22 with 6 assists, and Rudy Gobert with 29 points and 13 rebounds. For the Lakers, Jordan Clarkson had a nice night with 18, and Brandon Ingram added 13 points and 5 rebounds. Utah gets the win in a pretty good game to uh, close out the preseason for Utah, 105-99. to We'll take another break with that, and we'll be back to talk to Trevor Ugly about the other Welcome back. Joining us now is Trevor Utley. He's a staff writer at SFTV, and I am super excited to have him. Trevor, welcome. Thanks for having me. We're uh, the NBA season almost upon us. I'm getting anxious. I know it's we're about a week away and ready to get to the real games. Um, excited to talk about the Atlantic. It's a pretty uh, diverse division in terms of what we're going to expect from it, and maybe we'll start at the top with the Celtics. Um, maybe the the weirdest summer ever best summer ever you could say for the yeah, the Celtics kind of lot seed. going on yeah exactly Celtics number one seed they had a pretty great summer pick up Kyrie obviously Gordon Hayward obviously it's some severe changes in their lineup um how long do you think we're gonna have to see them adjust before this team is really firing on all cylinders honestly I don't see that much of a, a gelling period needed with this team because it's just a lot of guys that are plugging in holes that were left by the players that left. And to be honest, they're better than that. Irving's better than Isaiah, in my opinion. Haywood's better than Crowder. And you got a lot of these European people that are filling in for whatever Zizic would have been. They got to keep what I think was the better of the the picks, the, the Laker yeah. pick instead of the Nets pick. And, yeah, they cleared out a ton of space and they – I don't see many uh, rough patches for the Celtics, at least in terms of the division this year. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see. I mean, they have this new big three core, you know, um, with obviously Kyrie and Gordon who came in. Al Horford, you know, was good last year, not great. I'm curious to see what his ceiling is. Um, Do you feel like in this new offense and with these, this new sort of power three, obviously adding a strong, uh, three like Gordon, do you feel like Horford's going to be able to flourish this year, or is his role going to be more of a, you know, setting picks, getting rebounds, those kind of things? I I think those adding those two, Kyrie and, and Hayward, are going to help him. But I think the the ancillary guys, the guys that came in with the empty roster spots from all the trades out, are going to help him even more. Yeah. The the Daniel Thies, the Gershon Yabaselis, these guys that are going to be able to spell him for more time than a Tyler Zeller would have or an Amir Johnson. These guys that are going to be able to give them good minutes and rebound, give him a little more room to be creative offensively, not have to worry about as much defensively. I think that will help him acclimate more to what Brad Stevens wants to do with him. Yeah, Steven's the kind of coach that would seem to be able to coach towards, 
you know, what each of these guys really brings to the table, really, you know, coach to what makes them so great. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. Some of those younger guys, you know, he's he's shown even in his time with the Celtics that he's really able to bring the best out of them. So they should be a nice uh, should be a, a nice support there for that big three. Very much so. And I, I think uh, Jalen Brown takes a little bit of a step forward this year. Tatum already looks like a NBA player in the yeah. And summer league and preseason, you got to temper your expectations, but he looks like he's going to fit in seamlessly, making that trade down not look so bad. Yeah. The big question for the for the Celtics, obviously, you know, they were number one seed last year and got pretty much demolished in the playoffs. They are really retooling to get past Cleveland, as a lot of other teams are. And in the West, we're seeing teams retool to try to get past Golden State. Is this the year when we can actually have hope that the Celtics might be able to get past LeBron? I think this is the the last year that getting past Cleveland's going to matter because I think, well, and this is conspiracy theory central, that, <laughs> right. the, that the Cavs are just going to absolutely go nuclear at the end of this year. But the way that the two rosters are constructed, Cleveland versus Boston, I'd give Boston the edge right now just because – yeah, there's a lot of big names on Cleveland, but those are also a lot of big names with a lot of miles and a lot of question marks. If any of those, if Wade, Rose, any of those guys go down for any length of time, that team is just going to be the LeBrons again. And without Kyrie there to shoulder some of that load in some of those rough back-to-backs in the winter months, then they're, they're not going to be as formidable formidable of opponents as everybody thinks they're going to be yeah where we've seen the weakness with lebron without a doubt has been when he doesn't have the help from not just one but usually two guys you know you look at uh three years ago in the playoffs and then you know they were healthy and they were able to win but then last year again you know guys got tired and lebron got tired um let's move down 95 talk about the sixers you know a lot of hype around them there's a lot of question marks though. You've got Embiid's health, obviously just signed that huge contract, but has played, you know, over the last three years, less minutes than Greg Oden did. You got Fultz's youth. You've got Simmons inexperience as well. What, what should we do with all this enthusiasm? Is it still time to trust the process or should we actually start to expect results from them? See, I, I, I tried to go through all this stuff in my head with the Sixers and I could just come to the, the sentence that the the process isn't complete yet. Everybody sees that they have all these young guns now, and they're all healthy for the most part. They just plumped an ungodly amount of cash on um, Embiid's lap. That yeah. once I saw that contract come across, I go, "Yep, they they think the process is done. They think they are a a playoff contender now." And um. I'm just going to say I'm skeptical to keep the the colorful language out of the deal. I don't I don't buy the hype. I don't think they're going to be contenders for the division. If they make the playoffs, it's going to be by the skin of their teeth. They're not going to be a team that challenges the status quo in the East. Regardless if Embiid and Fultz stay healthy all year, same with Simmons, Okafor, if they keep him in in the fold. I just I don't see them making that big of a jump just yet. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. And it brings up a couple of interesting questions. You know, um, 
you've got Fultz, you know, obviously their pick this year is sort of the future point guard of the team. But in preseason, we've seen Jared Bayless actually play quite a bit more. And it appears as if he might actually be the starter coming into the season. You know, for a team that has valued their youth so much so far, it would be interesting to see them rely on someone who has a little bit more experience. What are your thoughts? I mean, if you're running this team, are you starting running out your new number one pick or are you actually letting him maturate just a little bit as we start the season? Yeah. uh, When you talk about Bayless, uh, a guy when he was coming out of Arizona, looking at him as a potential Nick pick and I go, Hey, I see something in there, but he's just, basically turned into a journeyman but a a stable journeyman if if such a term exists he's a guy that's going to come in he's not going to set the world on fire but he's not going to hurt you too much and i think that's what philadelphia needs you can go with the the youth movement at any time like i said this isn't going to be the year that they transcend to be this eastern conference power so let Fultz tinker with all his stuff in practice you read stuff he's messing with his foul shot he's messing with his the way he comes off screens and stuff and if you're gonna let him trial by fire out there from opening night you may just kill his confidence a little more but if you let him work out those kinks is the first guy in the second unit maybe he gets more comfortable with it yeah Maybe he gets all that stuff worked out. And then if you do make the playoffs, then you make a switch and you just let him run with it. Yeah, there's no need to rush. I would, I would tend to agree with you. Um, up in Toronto, they have seemed to be pretty content with uh, just basically running it back. You know, they were able to re-sign Ibaka, re-sign Lowry. They've got this big three now of Ibaka, Lowry, and DeRozan um, that really hasn't shifted a lot over, you know, the past, what, four or five years. Any reason to think they can improve and get ahead of the Celtics or the Cavs or even the Wizards to that extent? Toronto is a team that just befuddles me sometimes. They want to market themselves as i call them a golden state east Mm. they they're the team that everybody that comes through town wants to go see they have this exciting team that does all these things well yet they have a bunch of lumbering big men that don't pass well they have a bunch of guys that play the outside outside of lowry and derozan that can't shoot the ball and they've sunk nearly $90 million into three guys that are any of them really game changers. DeRozan is probably the most out of all of them because he's a guy that can just go score 40 points in 20 minutes and you just wouldn't be surprised. Lowry's a good player, but I, I've seen him take way too many games off. Yeah. And Ibaka, who knows? Who knows which Serge Ibaka shows up? on a month-to-month basis. Yeah, to have your, as you described it, I would 100% agree. I mean, to have DeRozan, who's potentially the the best of the three or the one who can most take over a game, be so off the ball, um, you know, his usage numbers compared to what, you know, Lowry's are or even Abaka or Valanciunas, you know, comparatively, it should be much higher. And 
I feel like Toronto will never be able to succeed until they can either get a one that's a little bit more uh, aggressive, we'll say, and doesn't take those nights off, or put DeRozan in a position to be uh, higher in terms of usage. Yeah, I I hear you 100%. Just almost what uh, Houston started with, with Harden when they're yeah. okay, we need you to have the ball more. You're not a point guard per se, but if maybe that gets Lowry going from, from outside, makes him a better three-point shooter. If it's just DeRozan pulling double teams coming across half court more often than not, who knows? Yeah. But I just don't think Toronto is willing to find out. They are content with, as you said before, they're content to run it back. They're content with mildly being relevant and – Sure, that'll get you the three seed every year, but it's going to keep getting you bounced out in the second round every year too. Yeah, and it seems like you know Dwayne Casey's sort of content with that, and we'll see how long that lasts. Um, so we have to talk about the two New York teams, <laughs> and uh, do we? I'm, I'm afraid we do. Very briefly, uh, we'll start with the Knicks. You know, Carmelo Anthony is gone. And uh, it leaves Porzingis in a position to move from being, you know, the unicorn, the star into now potentially more of a leadership role. The guy's still, what, 21? Is it too early for him? Can he do that? You know, is there any reason to think this team's going to get even 30 wins this year? I'm, I'm trying so hard to be positive with the Knicks this year. I'm trying to turn over a new leaf. They are the team that I... In my fan portfolio that I bag on the most, but when you look at the roster, you look at the supporting cast around Porzingis, you just don't see that guy that even plays a remotely significant Robin to his Batman. And from Porzingis' skill set, you look at any metric, or you even just watch him play. He needs, he needed Carmelo to make himself better because he was able to play off him. He was able to use the defensive shifts and he's great at finding that space and getting there and getting those quick dunks, rolling around screens, getting three pointers, but making his own offense, probably like 60% of the possessions, which are probably going to ask for him this year is I, I just don't see it. I don't see it just yet. He yeah. can prove me wrong. He's proved me wrong since they drafted him. I hope. I hope he does. But we'll have to. We'll have to see it first. Yeah, it's. I mean, I have concerns about him personally. I. I also sort of have just concerns in general with the state of the NBA because you don't see too many teams where, you know, the Batman, as you were saying, is the big man. You know, uh, you go through the league and you look at situations where that exists, i.e. Memphis. There's, you know, Gasol, but you've got Mike Connolly who's able to balance him. Now we're going to see it maybe with New Orleans where you've got uh, Davis and Boogie. They've got Drew Holiday. They've got Rondo who are able to get them the ball. But the Knicks, you know, you're building out of that sort of swing four slash five position with nobody really to facilitate to him. And, you know, like we're talking about with DeRozan, can his usage be high enough when he's not going to be constantly on the ball? If teams are consistently double teaming him, if they're cutting off those passing lanes, if he's not able to get open, does the offense just stop? And that sort of concerns me about this Knicks team. Yeah. Cause 
I look at the the point guards that they they could run out there, and it's when you're looking at an opening day starter of Ramon Sessions, right. and you have uh, Ron Baker, and it just it just hurts your soul a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> um, we're not ready for uh, as as uh, Bill Simmons calls him Frankie Nicotine just yet. Right. I'll get I'll get his pronunciation down by the end of the season. I promise. <laughs> sounds... And it it. When like Doug McDermott is potentially your 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 go-to outside guy, ah, I'm I'm just trying hard not to just wince to the point where it comes too too loud on the audio. But that's just <laughs> right. where I'm at right now. It, it's yeah, the the Knicks. I'm gonna be positive. I'm gonna watch the games. I'm gonna enjoy it for what it is. But you can't have the highest of hopes for them. People saying that they're going to be a playoff team, they're just just smidge delusional in my eyes. Yeah, I would have to agree. I mean, moving across the uh, East River, uh, Nets are my team. You know, they're another team that just has, you know, last year had the worst record. This year, there's a nice feel-good story about them. You know, everybody who's around the team says that, you know, they're unified. They feel good. It's a chance for redemption for D'Angelo Russell. Um I, I don't. I don't know. There's people who are talking about them being playoffs too. I don't see that either. I'm. I'm curious what your thoughts are of the Nets. Well, I'll say. I'll say one thing. They will be better than they were last year, just because. Yeah. I think the way that they've been constructed, there's there's no way to go but up. They're going to be a team that is going to be fun to watch. On certain nights, they'll be able to run with the teams that can run and potentially buck up down with the, the more defensive teams like the, the Memphises and the San Antonios of the world. I don't think they're going to win a lot of those games, but they're not going to get embarrassed as yeah. much as they have been the past few years. But you look at that roster, and it is – I want to say the Knicks roster is bare bones, but the Nets, good God. Yeah. Some you, – you're wondering if you're looking at a, a G League roster for some of it, and you you just don't know where the you don't know where the points are going to come from. Yeah, Russell's going to get his. He's going to be more of a lead role guy. But are you looking at Alan Crab? Yeah. Eh. Right. The the the, the Walking Dead, Damari Carroll. Uh, I like I like Kyrus Levert from his Michigan days, but what his he had like eight good games at the end of last year maybe yeah. when they were dead in the water yeah it's I, I mean you're right it's a team of people who are you know it feels like an old west town it's like where people have gone to either die or be rejuvenated you know Mozgov yeah. had some great times in, in Cleveland and then he went to the Lakers and was just nothing you know Russell is in need of really living up to the the potential that everybody talked about um you know guys you mentioned carol alan crab those kind of guys trevor booker sort of the same situation quincy ac tyler zeller i mean it's it's just like a list of sort of second string guys the question you know and a lot of people have talked about this is for the nets what what's the future you know are they going to have to bottom out again is this going to be a little bump or can they actually use this and get through the next couple of years without the draft picks and be able to go somewhere for here that's going to be an interesting thing to follow for them i agree they they're, they're definitely on an upward trajectory but how long how steep 
of that, it may be a, a slower incline than the the management hopes, but it's yeah. it's it's going up. It may just not be more than like a five degree incline right now. <laughs> right, right. They're they're going they're going on the low uh, setting at the the gym. With treadmill. Wow. That was, that was hard. Thinking of the word treadmill. <laughs> of all... I hope if I used one, I would remember it if I, if I actually... Trevor, thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to have you uh, with us this year and looking forward to starting the season about a week out. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. With that, I want to thank you all for joining us, and we look forward to being heard tomorrow. You can subscribe on iTunes, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and FeedBurner. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And if you want to be part of the show, you can email us at nba at sportsfromthebasement.com. Have a good day, everybody.